0: Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect. Participate. Celebrate. Blessed Palm Sunday to you. You may have noticed one of our organ keys back here is occasionally acting up in a particularly deep level. Sounds like a whale is worshiping with us. Stephen Boda is trying to get the key to behave, but if it goes off during the sermon, we're commanded to praise the Lord at all times. We'll just roll with it. Blessings, all of you. Today's the day when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Instead of riding on a stallion like a conquering general, he bumps along on a borrowed donkey like a farmhand. He is acclaimed as king, but mostly by children, not by power brokers or by soldiers. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he doesn't plant his standard and stake a claim. Instead, he looks around, shrugs, and heads home. Let me read the story to you from Mark 11. It's a good one. It's why we're here today. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. He sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks in the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem, went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Bit of an anticlimax, wouldn't you say? Huh, it's Jerusalem. Let's go home and watch TV. Jesus knows us. We are fickle creatures. Today we acclaim him with loud hosannas, which means God saves. In just a few days will be calling for his death. The same ones who said, Hosanna, will be shouting, crucify him. Jesus is not auditioning here to be king of Jerusalem. He is already king in the entire cosmos. But he will only reign from his cross through suffering, not conquest. Please come back Thursday to Friday to hear how this comes about. This story shows us what I think we already know, that fame, celebrity, are fleeting. But it is the currency of our age. It's what people most want to be trending on Twitter. I saw a list of those celebrated with ticker tape parades in New York City from the first one in the 1880s until now. There were some surprises on there. There were some not surprises. Lots of people on there were war heroes won a battle or a war and were being thanked for it. But alongside them were lots of aviators. The first left-handed German to fly over the Antarctic got a ticker tape parade. If you want a ticker tape parade, be an aviator in the 1920s. But then, in mid-century, lots of third world dictators. America trying to pry them away from Soviet influence. More recently, lots of athletes with trophies, it all seems a little ridiculous in retrospect, our obsession with fame, because here's the truth, we'll all be forgotten, all of us. I looked at a lot of those people being celebrated and thought, who on earth is that? One day, people will look at our names and say, who on earth is that? Jesus doesn't want or need fame, recognition, celebrity, he wants us. And he wants his whole world healed. We've been in a series on the book of Exodus at this church. It'll conclude next week at Easter. I will miss the book of Exodus. You heard the story of the first Passover a moment ago. It is the tenth and final plague that God hurls at Pharaoh to get him to loosen his grip and let the Israelite slaves go to freedom. And it is the most severe, Egypt enslaved all of Israel. Pharaoh tried to exterminate all of Israel by killing baby boys. In the Passover, Pharaoh's murderous intent boomerangs back against Egypt, and everyone in Egypt loses their firstborn. There is not a home without a crushing loss, from Pharaoh on his throne to the prisoner in the dungeon. This is a grim democracy of death. It shows what happens when you enslave a people. You lose your own child. Now there is mercy in the middle of this severity. Pharaoh tried to eliminate all of Israel's children. Egypt only loses its firstborn, not all the children. This is an an eye-for-an-eye justice that's held back for mercy. But it is a heavy story. There is no celebration of this loss in the Bible. The action happens off-scene, not described. And certainly, nothing here to be celebrated. As we've been at Exodus all year, I've been reading a history of the Underground Railroad called Bound for Canaan. One of our good internet listeners suggested it to me. Some 100,000 souls trekked north in terrific danger to get to Canada, and in their biblical imagination, Canada became Canaan. If you were in a northern free state, a slave catcher could kidnap you and take you back to slavery, but once you made it to Canada, you were safe. The British Empire had outlawed slavery, so black communities sprang up here in Ontario, offering education and work, the chance to grow wealth and to pass it down to your descendants, to live. And meanwhile, the U.S. that they left behind descended into civil war, the bloodiest war the U.S. has ever participated in, some 800,000 dead, not a household unaffected. It's the same lesson as the Passover. Enslave a people, oppress them, and you will wind up with your children dead. Kill another's sons and you lose your own. It's a severe logic. As the kids say, karma is tough. As academics might say, oppression ensnares both the oppressed and the oppressor. As the black church says, quoting scripture, As you sow, so shall you reap. These Bible stories aren't just history. They're patterns. They show how things work. How God always works to bring freedom from slavery. Now in our story for today, the action slows way down. Very precise instructions are given for how to celebrate the Passover. Every family take a lamb. If your family's not big enough to eat a whole lamb, join with another family. If there's a democracy of grief in Egypt, there's a democracy of feasting. Together, the family that matters isn't so much the nuclear family, it's the whole family of God. Take a lamb with no blemish. Don't take one that's diseased. Don't take one whose leg's broken. Don't take one that's dying anyway. Don't do what I do when there's a canned food drive. Go to the pantry, find the thing I like eating the least, and say, Ooh, I bet someone hungry likes lima beans. No, give your best to God and to your neighbor. Roast the whole thing. Head, legs, inner organs. Scotland did not invent haggis, apparently. Though it can still have curling, I believe. Eat only unleavened bread. There is no time for the bread to rise. Eat the whole lamb. There's no storage. There is no cupboard. We are leaving Egypt this very night. No space to carry leftovers eat it this way, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand ready, crouched to spring to freedom for this very night your liberation has come this is not a leisurely feast with a nap afterward like I prefer this is a hearty meal to set off for slavery into freedom we'll need all the strength we can get and spread blood on your door on the doorpost And on the sides, the angel of death will see the blood and pass over your house. Blood means life. Now, we Christians have always seen the signs of Jesus Christ in this meal. His last supper with his disciples, he gathers his friends, and he celebrates what's sort of like a Passover, but it's a weird one. Because it's all reoriented around him. This is his body. This is his blood. Take, eat, and become part of him. And you notice what's missing at Jesus' last supper and in our communion celebrations? No lamb, right? It would be hard on communion stewards to roast a lamb every time we had communion. I'm sure that's what they were thinking in biblical times. No, Jesus is the lamb who is slain, whose blood means life for us. He's the one in whom we pass from slavery to freedom. We got to baptize a bunch of folks last week. And we talked, as Christians always do when we celebrate baptism, we talked of the Exodus. The Red Sea is slavery, bondage, our sins. Baptism is God splitting the Red Sea again, miraculously bringing us out of death and into life. And the Lord's Supper is our Passover, our meal to strengthen us on the way to freedom. Eat it crouched, staff in hand, shoes on your feet, ready to spring. I love how our Jewish neighbors and friends celebrate the Passover. The children start things off. The youngest child is supposed to ask, how is tonight unlike any other night? And then an honored elder tells the story. This is the night when God broke our chains of slavery and granted us freedom. Rabbi Jonathan Sacks says this is what Judaism is. Judaism is the radical claim that the only God there is intervenes in history personally to free slaves. That's Judaism. They eat unleavened bread. They taste bitter herbs to remember slavery, usually horseradish. And you get extra credit if you make your own horseradish. Anyone know how to do that in here? I don't. One Jewish friend tells me how they celebrate in her home. They ask everyone, what has been your Egypt this year? The Hebrew word for Egypt is mitzrayim. What has been your mitzrayim? The place of slavery that God is delivering you from. One year, her granddaughter stood up and said, I've been through puberty this year. I had my first period. And they said, that's great and difficult. Mitzrayim. And her nephew stood up and said, I, I got divorced this year. That's hard, but God's always bringing life out of death. Mitzrayim. I wonder about us. What's our place of slavery? Our bondage, where God is bringing freedom. Our Mitzrayim. Say it with me, it's fun to say it. Mitzrayim. You're speaking God's language. You know what God is always doing? That's what God always does. That's who God always is. There's a deep democracy of grief in Egypt and a deeper democracy of freedom in Israel. Find me a chain anywhere. Right now, the God of Israel and Jesus is smashing that thing. And then we hear the aftermath. Another meeting with Pharaoh. Previously, Pharaoh had always bargained, okay, you can go for a few days, but you have to come back. Okay, you can go, but you have to leave your flocks. Okay, you can go, but you've got to leave your old people or your young people. Here, Pharaoh doesn't bargain. He says, go, all of you, leave. You have meant nothing but death for us. But then Pharaoh says this very strange thing. He says, pray a blessing for me." For most of history, if you wanted to name the embodiment of evil, you would say Pharaoh. Until Hitler. Now it's always Hitler. But until a certain unfortunately mustached Austrian corporal, it was always Pharaoh. Pharaoh asks Israel for a blessing. If you know your Bible, you might remember back to Genesis. The patriarch Jacob himself renamed Israel, comes to Egypt. There's a famine in the whole world. And they've heard that in Egypt there's food. And so they go. And they discover their son and brother, Joseph, is in charge of everything in Egypt. He's the one who's gathered the food. They think we tried to destroy Joseph. But here he is and he's in charge. The one we tried to murder us alive. And Israel goes in and meets Pharaoh, and he blesses him. It's right there in the book, Genesis 47, 10. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. The last of the patriarchs blesses the office of the embodiment of evil. Jesus' greatest teaching is to love your enemy, not just your friend. Everyone can do that. Not just your spouse. We're all trying to do Not just your kids, we're all trying to do that. Not even just yourself, we all try to do that. But love your enemy. He gets that teaching from here, in Israel's story. Now maybe Pharaoh doesn't really mean it, because he's about to send his army after the escaping Israelites. But I just wonder if there's wisdom here. Winnipeg singer I love named Alana Lewandowski sings this, God blessed the broken road that led me straight to you. (laughs) You hear that? Broken and straight. God blessed the broken road that led me straight to you. I just wonder if there's wisdom in thanking God not just for blessings, but for sorrow. Mitzrayim, the place where God meets us in the hardest and most severe things. Ernest Hemingway said, the world breaks everyone. Some people get strong in the broken places. The world breaks everyone. Some people get strong in the broken places. You've no doubt heard about the violence on the TTC in this city. Near where we live last week, a 16-year-old was stabbed to death outside Keele Station. That's where our son walks by. The victim's family came from Brazil to Canada because they thought it'd be safer to raise him here. That's a wound in a family, in a city, in humanity that will never close. But there's an even deeper wound, the wound in God's own heart. It's deep enough to hold every bring that day, especially for that crushed family, and have mercy on us all. And now we turn to the Lord's Supper, our Passover, the table where God transforms our violence into grace, our democracy of feasting, where blood means life. Jalen and I like watching Murdoch Mysteries set in Victorian and Edwardian Toronto. There's an episode where the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ from the Last Supper, turns up in Markham. And one policeman guffaws, the Holy Grail, what's it doing in bloody Markham? But there it is, suburban Toronto. We actually claim something similar this morning, that the very cup of Christ is the one you and I are about to drink from. Not only that, he's the bread, the wine. He's the enemy, the friend, he's the lamb. We eat and he strengthens our body and in us and through us, he's making all things new. You'll see. One day everyone will see.